All right, welcome into the Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. It is just a uh, me from the Three Guys crew. We bring in another special guest, a recurring guest again. It is episode 59. It is the Joe Hegg special edition preview with Big Deck's barbecue zone, Zach Willis, also host of the co-host of the Bench Warmers podcast. It is January 7th, 2023. Got to get used to saying 23 at this point, yeah. but we are... We'll we'll manage at some point, so I'm one for one already. But, like I said, it is NDSU versus SDSU this week. It's SDSU hate week. Bison play the Jacks for a chance to win their 10th national title at 12 p.m. on Mountain Time on Saturday on a- or Sunday on ABC. Zach, how are we doing? How are things going? Going well. As you mentioned, obviously, before we got in, a little bit of a shock here. I just wanted to clear it up for 2023. And, you know, last time we lost to the Jackrabbits, I did have hair. So we had to try something else. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Hopefully that is the, uh, that, 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 that helps. Are you, are you a big superstitions guy? Um, honestly, there's some, not really, but there is like some weird stuff day to day that I'm just like, if it's not right, then I know the day isn't going to go well. Okay. Are you are you able to share some of those? Um, yeah, I mean, really, a lot of it has to do with my dogs. Like, okay. uh, we just adopted another dog. His name's Lenny. Um, what was that? In August. And I just know that if it's not going well in the morning, that the rest of the day is just going to be a wash. So I might as well just stay home and climb back into bed. But no, nothing too crazy. I wasn't like a you know I don't wash my socks or. Um, stuff like that you know like there were some guys who if they if they had a good game and a pair of socks or a pair of gloves they're wearing that same socks same gloves the entire season until something bad happened and i just i didn't buy that so i also okay. didn't like to smell that bad yeah right <laughs> yeah i i feel you there it's it's always interesting how some of these guys i don't know about like football it's it's not as bad but they say baseball the guys are the worst superstitions yeah, like I know, um can't remember what I've seen it in, but like if they're using a bat and they're on a cold streak, they'll just go start it on fire and use a new bat. It's just like, you think that's going to help you? I think it's just more mental of like clearing it all out and, you know, refocusing, having a, a blank slate ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's some that are just absolutely outrageous. I know there's one that like uh, Jim Harbaugh always said was, you should never eat chicken before a game because it's a nervous bird. It's a scared bird, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that one. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe they did eat some eat some chicken before the game on was, last Saturday, but we're, I didn't, uh, we're, I didn't we're want not to mention it. No, I. It was uh, yeah. Well, your dad's a Michigan fan, correct? Yeah, yeah. He watched that on his own. Uh, he was pretty confident. He's like, I think if we win this, we can beat Georgia, and. They lost to TCU. So yeah, I, I was the same. I everything watching leading up to that game, I there was definitely reasons to feel confident. And then yeah, you know, credit to TCU, they they came out and played well, and see how I they match up against Georgia. The way they beat the brakes off of Ohio State, I really thought it was going to be like, okay, this might be the year that they get over the hump. And then you know, TCU just has some grit to them. Max Duggan especially, like he just gets wailed on throughout the game and then he just bounces right back up and he's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, they those guys did not quit and you know, 
TCU, they made they played that game on their terms, and Michigan, they fought back. I mean, there were, it felt like in previous years, well, they wouldn't have gotten to that point in previous years, but where it would have, they would have gotten the doors blown off when they got down three scores. It would have been a five, six score game, but yeah. they bounced back and, you know, another yeah. step. They they went down swinging, but I was talking to um, my co-host of the Benchformers, Quinn, about it. And I was just like, if TCU, you know, is up two to three scores in the first half, I don't think that's a game Michigan wants to play. And they, I thought, I thought they needed to build that bubble to fight them off, and they somehow did it. But you have to have some some reprieve in the fact that Ohio State lost to you, like in heartbreaking fashion. It was it that made that Ohio State losing made that day a little a, a lot better because that way I knew that those guys were not going to be able to win a national title, and I wouldn't yeah. have had to cheer for a team that just beat Michigan. Right. So, it always it always could be worse. So I I think if Ohio State wins, it just feels like too much of destiny that they would go on and beat TCU. But that would be that would I wanted to see Michigan Ohio State. I thought it would have been an exact replica of what the Bison are what the what's happening to NDSU this Sunday. Yeah, well, and that's that's a good good segue there, um, Bison and and SDSU are meeting down in Frisco and you've you've made the trip as a player a few times you know yep. what what is that week kind of like you know from like do you like practice is I don't know if is it they start at Sunday or Monday or you know from like from can you take us through that week of like from like yeah like the Monday or Sunday or whenever you guys really start practicing because I'm guessing it's very similar to like a a Super Bowl week for NFL teams where that week before is really when everything, the game plan, everything is scouting, all of that is put in. And then the game week, it's more so you're, it's a lot more walkthroughs. It's a lot more of the fine tuning of things. Is that kind of how that goes or am I completely way off? No, you're, you're pretty close to how it goes. You know, you win usually on a Friday night in the Fargo Dome for the semifinals game. Um, Coach Ants, if, you know, depending on how the performance was, how he feels, you get Saturday and Sunday off. You come back Monday, it's like a get your legs back under your game or uh, practice. You, you're you in uh, what we call spiders. It's not, you know, hard shell pads. It's just like a protection over the chest. Um, it's pretty much a sped up walkthrough is how I would describe it, getting through it. Tuesday, it, that, that next week after the semifinals really functions as a, um, like a, a any regular game game week, like you'd be like you'd be playing that Saturday. Tuesday is a more physical practice. You just have to get some hits in. But that whole week, it kind of ramps down towards the end. But um, it's just all about one getting guys back healthy. We call it winter camp because it's like it, it's like three weeks of fall camp. There's no school. Um, you finish your finals that week of the semifinals usually or you're getting into dead week, whatever, however that schedule works out. I've only been out for a year and I don't even remember how it works. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you're, it's a lot of young guys um, getting some reps for some, some guys who may not be playing a lot in, in games, um, but who could, if they're needed to step in. Um, And that's usually just to give the old guys a break. Like I know Cody and Nash probably took 
I don't know, probably Tuesday and Wednesday off. They're old guys. They're soft. I hope they're listening to this. <laughs> uh, but uh, not gritty guys like you, like, like Kubis, out from Dickinson. You know, they're fighting <laughs> through it. Um, and then you get into the next week is usually Christmas break. You'll have usually two days before and a day after Christmas to get back home. Um, that's nice. Just get a little break and go see the family. Then you come back and it's um, a few practices, a little more physical. I think the older guys leading up to Frisco, you just need one like good pop practice. You need to get some hitting in. And then the rest is just getting your legs back under you. You'll fly out Wednesday. You'll either practice before you leave or practice when you get there. Uh, we did it both ways when I was there. And then um, you're down in Frisco. And then that is it's like all the pageantry, all the fun stuff. Um, you get like the banquets put on by the NCAA that are like recognizing everybody for their accomplishments and all this stuff. And then there's usually a competition between the two teams. Um, what it was, we did two years of um, the Texas barbecue bowl or something like that. And it was at a, a place like Kingpins here in Fargo, a bunch okay. of bowling alleys, arcades, stuff like that. Um, and then the, competition was bowling and um usually there's kids from a local charity there it's a pretty cool experience and then um actually my last year when we played jmu um we did it at top golf so um i just some guys like went and did a whatever you know try to hit a ball 300 yards as you do when you're at top golf and then uh there were five or six guys that got chosen for a team and then their head pro went against Amy Olson from oh, wow. So And he, she just wiped the floor with him. It wasn't even <laughs> close. Pitching, driving, you know, she's an LPGA pro. So yeah. I expect that, but this was pretty cool and was kind of an omen for how the game was going to go that Saturday. Yeah. Do those, do those get chippy? Because I feel like I remember reading somewhere that at one of those when you guys played JMU, or maybe it was both where – there were some there were some words exchanged during uh during those two kind of events. Yeah, you're you're honestly pretty separated during the whole thing, but uh until the competition obviously, but it would have been friendly banter if anything like, you know, nothing crazy or nobody's throwing drinks or starting a food fight or anything like that, but um I remember it was just kind of like a it was when Kurt Segnetti is the head coach of JMU currently, right? Yep, yep. Who was? Do you know who it was before that? He went to Mike, Eastern Carolina. Mike Houston, I think, was it. Yes, and he was still the head coach my freshman year. And uh, we were supposed to, like, come, they made us dress, like, um, bit, like formally for this banquet. You're supposed to look nice, wear a, a button-down shirt, a tie if you have one, nice shoes. And uh, JMU showed up in just, like, their travel suits sweatpants and a zip jacket and then uh yeah it was just kind of like you know that's why you are the way you are and that's why we are the way we are and then you know Easton's dick put on a clinic um and sent him back home to Virginia yeah I, re I remember that game I remember watching that and I was eating at the same time because I and that would would have been like my fifth year senior class so I I knew a lot of those guys that were playing and that was their last game and I was just so nervous for them where, where I was like, I can't eat. I just got to watch this. I'm way too, probably way more invested than I should. But I think it's yeah. different when you know those guys and you knew the work they put in that, yeah. how much it meant and that the just to see them go out on top and was definitely cool to see. 
And, you know, there weren't a lot of times in our careers at NDSU where it felt like we were we were the less talented team, the le- the team that wasn't supposed to win. And that game against JMU, they had some studs on that defense. I think four or five NFL guys, if I'm not correct. Uh, but it just felt like, what are we doing even being close in this game? They were crazy talented coming off of a national championship the year before. Yeah, and that was a that was a year too where it felt like from from the word go from week zero that NDSU James Madison were on a collision course to meet in Frisco, and NDSU had the had the one hiccup. James Madison was undefeated at that point, and then NDSU came and they played the way they've like Frisco was a home game and ended up out on top. Yeah, and you know it's just. Um... It's a lot of fun. Uh, that's how I would describe the week at Frisco, that whole experience. You're with your buddies. There's more independence than a usual uh, road trip because it's obviously longer. You're there from, you know, Wednesday afternoon until Saturday, Sunday when you leave. But um, you just, like, we stayed at uh, the Omni Hotel in Frisco, which is where the Dallas Cowboys stay um, uh, when, when they play home games. And it was just cool that, like, we – there was – um, a story about Easton Stick being in an elevator with Tyron Smith. Uh, me and Nash were in the elevator with Cole Beasley. It's like Ezekiel Elliott was walking around. It was just pretty cool to get out there and have that experience. And obviously, um, you know what's going to happen on Saturday. And that's yeah. like the coolest part. You just get excited more uh, gradually as you get closer to Saturday. Yeah, because my buddy, well, uh, you well, you would obviously know Mason. and. Uh... He was because um, I'm a, I I'm a Cowboys fan. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but <laughs> <You thought>. um, <laughs> yeah, he he texted me and because he was in the elevator with Lael Collins and Tyron Smith at the same time. Yeah, and yeah, that that would be sweet. Um, you know, I don't know if you've been following the uh, LSU with uh, their receiver. If you've heard that rumor yeah. floating around was there i was were, wondering <laughs> were, were there were there any shenanigans like that when you were down in frisco no we no. knew better <laughs> like like it was almost like the coaching staff had like eyes everywhere man because they do um i think the craziest we got was venturing over to like a strip mall across the street we weren't we weren't performing any uh lsu activities i can tell no. you that much at least okay. i wasn't yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that's a good thing. But, you know, you, you brought up winter camp. You know, what what are some of those, like, those workouts like? Because every time NDSU, when they've taken the field in Frisco, they look like a new, they look like a rejuvenated, they look like a fresher team. What are some of, what are those, some of the things that they're, they, the coaches and uh, strength and conditioning staff do that make them look like that they're playing their best? Yeah, and. You know, I've talked about this a bunch, but it's a developmental program, one. And two, you know, more to that point, you're you're built to peak uh, this weekend coming up. Um, and it's it's a fine-tuned science. They've done it 10 times now, and they just have it down to uh, as close to perfect as it possibly can be. Obviously, I don't need to mention Jim Kramer. Everybody knows. <laughs> Um, the legend, if there's going to be a statue outside of the Fargo, Fargo Dome one day, it should be the Bulldog. Um, but it's a lot of a lot of it is just rest. It's you know, it's not 
I think they're talking about like 35 days for the college football playoff teams uh, since their last games. And it's just like, that's too long where bodies start to degrade. And, you know, a little bit of it is we'll, if the old guys aren't practicing, they'll just do conditioning to keep it up, stay ready. Um, but in the weight room, it doesn't slow down. You're still lifting heavy weights all the way up until kickoff. Um, obviously, uh, once once you get to Frisco, it's a little harder to find facilities and stuff like that. But excuse me, um, it's you know, I I don't know. It's almost like that Belichick method, um, how he has those guys like max squatting the week of the AFC divisional game. Same kind of thing. It's just you can't just because you've reached the the top of the mountain, you want to climb over. It doesn't mean you can stop doing what you're doing, acting like game was normal. A little bit is is taking some some load off the heavy guy's legs or the old guy's legs, um, which is greatly, greatly appreciated when you get to that point of the season. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's worked nine, nine, nine for nine, so we're hoping yeah. they're going to go 10 for 10 here. But, you know, I, I have some stuff written down and, like, just go down offense, defense, and then I kind of have some some general thoughts. But, I think for NDSU offensively, I think Cam Miller has to play the best game of his career. He has yet to beat South Dakota State. Um, you know, obviously the one for 12 is not going to cut it in this game. You're going to have to hit some big throws. Receivers are going to have to play the best game of their year, which they had success against the South Dakota State secondary. Uh, the questions at the running back as far as health, I don't know if you know any, any uh, have any status on that as far as Tameric Williams or Kobe Johnson. I know it, seems like Matt Entz is playing it pretty close to the vest as far as who's playing and who isn't. Yeah. Uh, nothing, obviously, um, that anybody else knows. I would just venture to say that those are two guys you're going to have to fight like hell to keep out of the football game. Uh, I would imagine we'll see Tamaric and Kobe back. I did. Um, I actually had a friend who was on the sideline send me a video of Kobe's finger. It did not look good. It looked bad. Um, like worse than anything I've ever seen on a football field with fingers. So, yeah, well, and, and that's yeah. I, some finger injuries are they're like the most the weirdest and like just the most unusual like of how things happen. Like I had a buddy in high school; he got his finger stuck in a face in a face mask, and yeah. the kid like yanked off yanked uh. it off, and his like like his I think it was his ring finger, and it goes like. Like it, it's like two two knuckles now. Yeah. Like and it just never it never like uns uns gotten like the swelling never went down. It's still that way. Yeah, I I dislocated a bunch of them. Obviously, just playing in the trenches, punching all the time. Uh, I don't. All of them kind of went back to normal. This one, if you can see, is a little wonky oh, yeah. there. Uh, that's actually from wrestling in high school. It got stuck in the kid's headgear, and I snapped down. Same Ooh. kind of thing. And then it was just limp like this, laying to the side. Um, looked up in the stands and held it up to my parents, and I think my mom almost passed out. So, <laughs> yeah, fingers fingers are tough because you can't do anything about it. Um, if it's like a torn ligament, obviously, you can have surgery. But most of the time, it's just like, tape them together, buddy. Nothing we can do. Yeah, and then, guy, well, the receiver position, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm drawing a blank of who got hurt. Was it was it Raja, Raja Nelson? Was he... He was hurt. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if he is able to come back. Uh, yeah. But... Everything seems fairly hopeful as far as those guys. 
um, when Coach Enns came out and talked about no broken bones or anything like that after the quarterfinal game, that's usually a good sign. So hopefully they can come back and, you know, if I'm hurt and I'm on that borderline of something I could grind out or I'd have to sit out, this would be the game that would get me out and, hey, shoot me up with the good stuff. Let's yeah. go get this thing done. Yeah, for sure. And another thing I have written down too is, is I, I think for NDSU, I don't know how – I think this is going to be a bit of a bloodbath. I think it's going to be hard sledding, especially running the ball. I think at some point they're going to have to – hit on a big and an explosive play, try to get like a 50 yard touchdown, something like off a flea flicker, something like that. Like what they are a deep pass. Like they hit in 17 where they got Darius Shepard got his only touchdown of the year that year. Cause I, I think South Dakota state the last few times has done a good job of shutting down the NDSU run game. So I, there, there's going to need some explosive plays. Cause I don't think they're, they're going to be able to get grind out drives Throughout, and that's not a knock on NDSU. It's just, I think, a credit to South Dakota State and the defense they have. Yeah, when I think about, you know, how to win in the run game in this game, or if you're NDSU, one, it's controlling movement from the defensive line. They have a lot of talented players, guys that can move side to side. Uh, if they're moving side to side, that means someone's out of a gap. Um, and then you have to capitalize on that and hit your fits to your linebackers. Adam Box, a heck of a player. I'm sure he's been one of the main guys that they're game planning around this week. It's just how well can you handle those down guys? And if you're moving them, how do you handle that, those second level linebackers? And, you know, I think you're spot on with the, with a big explosive play being needed because this regular season game, they couldn't stop the running running game in the first half, but what prevented NDSU from winning was having to lean on that and just smashing their head into a wall. They couldn't get anything going as far as an as a, as far as an, wow, as far as an explosive play. Um, and that's why they ended up stalling and doing nothing in the second half and losing a game that I think was as close to being won as a game can be. Yeah. And I, I think if you, if you ask anybody on that, on the NDSU, in the NDSU program, they're going to say that that game is a game that they felt like they lost more than South Dakota State won. Mm-hmm. Revenge is for sure going to be on the mind. and. I think there can't end that. And the other bullet point I have too is is got to end every possession with a kick. But you yeah. talked about the um, game planning and um, was in your time when you were a player, did, were the game plans for these as these games got bigger? Were, did you feel like they were simpler game plans where you, they the coaching staff did a more focus on what what NDSU did really well? where it was less for you guys to go out, less thinking for you guys, where all you guys had to do was go out and play and hit hard? Or were there, was it more complex compared to previous to other games? I think it's simpler, but not in the way most people would think. It's less shallow and less broad. It's more concise and deeper thought. So more, more plays in each concept that you think are going to work. I mean, they have two to three weeks to you know, figure out what they think. One, uh, are we going to lean on power? Are we going to lean on zone inside or outside? Are we going to look at pin pull stuff? Um, How are we going to respond to this when they do this on defense? How are they going to respond to us when we do this on offense? It's just, they have every minute detail figured out. Um, And it really is just like getting handed the answers to a test. 
Um, you know, if you see this guy off the edge, you know pressure's coming across your face. It's it's remarkable. Uh, that's why they get paid the way they do to do what they do. Um, but it's remarkable the the amount of football knowledge the coaching staffs have. But you know, just to answer your question, I think it's not obviously you've seen the wrinkles, um, the James Hendricks fake field goal, um, the um, the reverse to uh, a number 11 receiver that shouldn't be named um, is now playing for JMU. And then uh, there's usually some, uh, I remember like a Christian Watson fly sweep, just things that, I mean, last year the wrinkle was uh, Hunter Lipke's going to run through your face for yeah. <laughs> 60 minutes, but they didn't it's need just anything like, fancy or cute there. Yeah. That game. It's just like, I, like I said, it's, it's less broad and um, you know, it's just more concise, but, where you might have four plays per concept, you'll have nine. And here's how they're going to respond to it when we line up this way. And here's what they're going to do mid-play when we line up this way. It's, like I said, it's getting handed the answers to the test. And it's really cool to see it take place on on, uh, game day when you play in the natty. Yeah, and how much do you expect uh, Cole Payton to have a – do you expect him to have a bit of an impact or have some serious playing time as as an added wrinkle? Is that something that you could see them doing? Yeah, I, I think it depends on health. I know he had a sprained ankle too, um, was in a boot. Uh, I can't remember. It was either the Incarnate Word game or the game before. Game before, it's just, yeah. yeah. I think it kind of depends on his availability, I would imagine, after four or five weeks of you know fairly uh, easy practices for the young man that he'd be ready to go, chomping at the bit to go. But I think he's a game changer. Um, the way guys are kind of gelling around that package and the way he's running the football – I would expect to see some Cole Payton, and I would like to see some Cole Payton just as a switch up. You know, Cam has put on a, a clinic, um, almost turning into a Brock Jensen-like player where, you know, he's going to fall forward. He's going to be four or five, scoring five touchdowns, putting his team on the back in the incarnate word game and the run game. Uh, obviously not the passing game. I'd like him to have a better performance, which obviously I think he will. Um, but, you know, just switch it up a little bit. Cole Payton's a load. You need, you know, short yardage. You need that explosive play that we're talking about. I think Cole Payton has that capability. Yeah, well, and especially after the ugly turnover that he had in the regular season game, I think there's going to be some added motivation for him there as well. Um, and hopefully they, if they do have him throw it, he's able to complete a pat, complete that pass. Um, realistically, that shouldn't have it shouldn't have even been put in that spot because if the ref doesn't try to make it about himself, you know, yeah. NDSU goes up 28-7 there. Yeah, there isn't uh, a lot of moments where I, like, really have to contain myself in the press boxes because I obviously am a homer. I cheer for NDSU, and, you know, big J journos don't like that when you're up there celebrating. But uh, that was one I almost had to, like, climb into the stands and start screaming at people. But um, I think – one, Cole Payton bears just – this is all conjecture. I have no idea. But I would imagine he looks at that SDSU game and feels some blame um, to point at himself and say, hey, this loss was on me. And um, when guys think like that in the program, they have two options where they either shut down or they get better. And Cole Payton seems like the type of guy that's going to get better and learn from that moment. And I bet he's been using it as fuel, hoping that he gets another chance at the Jackrabbits. So – 
I think that's definitely a wrinkle that they wouldn't expect. I would like to see the percentage numbers of how many times it's a run when Cole Payton is in. Um, but, you know, I think he's talented enough to go in and, and sling the football around too. And if you need um, a game breaker, I think Cole Payton could do it. Yeah. And it was um, – but, yeah, for sure he – and, and I, I don't think you can be a part of the Bison program that if the if the first – wave of adversity hits and you shut down and quit, you're probably not going to last too long in the NDSU program. So I, I did, he, I'm with you there that the, he's definitely going to be, be chomping at the bit and focused and ready to redeem himself for the mistakes he made. Yep. And I, uh, we can transition over to defense here, but you know, for me, it's, it's containing Isaiah Davis. I think he's a good enough runner where, He's going to get his. He might get over 100 yards, but you can't let the big run for him become a big, big run. And that yeah. goes for their entire offense, their backup running back, who had a really good game against NDSU the first time around. Uh, Grinow- Mark Gronowski seems to be using his legs. He did it a lot in that spring season against NDSU as well. Um, you know, they something NDSU has to be alert for is for his legs. Same thing. It's, you know, uh, and in general, too, is just, running to the ball, gang tackling, something that they've really shored up since that SDSU game. The defense has been playing a lot better since that game. Um, another part with Gronowski is, is, you know, get pressure, you know, try to keep him in the pocket. Don't let him get out and extend plays. That's where the Yankee twins, the Tucker guys like Tucker Kraft can uh, get really dangerous, especially that. And then with those guys as well is, is tackling in space. You know, they can't let them break tackles and let them go for, you know, a 10-yard gain isn't a bad play. They can't let a 10-yard go to a 25 to a 35 where they're getting that yards after catch. And then on the defense with that is that I think they're going to have to get three-plus sacks. They, I think Spencer Wage is going to have to have a big game. Uh, those guys in the middle, uh, Dutton Heffer, uh, trying to think who else they have in there, you know, get pressure, make that offensive line, line for South Dakota State a living hell make them uncomfortable, force them into some mistakes. And then they're going to have to win the turnover battle. I think they're going to need three-plus turnovers, steal some possessions, and then be be on the lookout for trick plays because that's when SDSU seems to pull those out is when they're playing the Bison. Yeah, I agree with you on, on all fronts there. I think really the prototype that you look to follow against a quarterback like Gronowski are the teams that beat uh, Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. Uh, can you get home with four? And do you have to drop an extra guy uh, out of coverage because he's so accurate and can beat you with his arm to rush the passer? Or can you trust those those big guys up front, those top four, to uh, to get home and wreak havoc? Because when he starts to lead the pocket and Tucker Kraft and the Yankee twins or the Yankee brothers start to uh, improvise a little bit, that's when the 40, 50, 60-yard plays start to happen. Um, I think it's just a little bit of pick your poison. Which one are you going to let beat you? Um, those splash plays from Gronowski to the weapons that I just mentioned, or do you try to shore up, um, maybe load the box a little bit and try to stop Isaiah Davis because he can be really dynamic as well. Um, I've been really impressed with the fortitude of this NDSU defense and how they've improved, especially in the tackling and run fits. Um, I said it from the beginning, people on Twitter didn't like to hear it, but it's the Bison. They're going to figure it out, and they have. 
uh, it's been really impressive to to see how those guys are uh, stepping up to the challenge. And, you know, they're playing lights out right now, one of the best defenses in the country. So um, the defensive matchups are the ones I'm really going to be looking forward to. Kind of have a, a general idea of what's going to happen on offense for the Bison. But, you know, if the defense comes to play, it could be a long day for the Jackrabbits. Yeah, and the other note I had down there was forcing them to kick field goals in the red zone. What's going to be some keys there that NDSU has to do? Because South Dakota State will move the ball. They, they're they too talented not to. You know, it's one of those things is, you know, they practice too. Uh, but what's some things that NDSU is going to have to do to force force South Dakota State to kick field, settle for field goals in the red zone and, and not get in the end zone? Uh, honestly, it's kind of the cliche answers, but how are you going to play the tight ends? They're all talented, not just Tucker Kraft, but, I mean, he's an absolute weapon in the red zone. So how are you going to match up to him? Is that bringing Dom Davis and, you know, keeping a linebacker off the field? Well, then you have to deal with, uh, or excuse me, Dom Jones. I played with Dom Davis as well. But, uh, you know, do you bring in Dom Jones with his length and let him try to figure it out against Tucker Kraft? Um, but then you open yourself up to Isaiah Davis in the run game. Uh, do you bring in an extra linebacker? Do, do you get heavier when you get into the red area? I think obviously it changes once you get in from like a, a mid-20s to a low 10s and into the five-yard line. But um, it's just how well you can tackle. Um, everybody do your 111th, hit your gap, be in the right place at the right time. And then I think it's honestly just um, I look at even two plays against JMU, same kind of situation. Um, was Josh Hayes' tackle on the bubble screen? Was it the Christensen brothers? What was their last name? The the big guys, the six oh, six six five. Kids. Yeah. Um, I can't even think of their names, but I know the one. Yeah. Uh, it was Riley Stapleton. And, uh, Stapleton. Stapleton. Yes. Yeah. And Josh Hayes, young guy out there, ready to play. That was his first game, I believe. Yeah. Because he, he, the only reason he was in was because they had a cup. Jalen Allison and then Jalen Allison tore uh, Wimbush, yep. I believe, right were both yeah. out because they got hurt in the Sam Houston game. And yep, that was his first ex- extensive action. And he was – he had to have gotten defensive player of the game or was definitely he, in the discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took the bigger Stapleton, threw him into the other Stapleton, and and made the tackle in the backfield. And then I think about when uh, Jimmy Football, James Hendricks, picks off Ben Danucci in the red zone. Um, sometimes it's less about assignment and going to make a play. And I think those guys on, on code green have the reign to, Hey, I, I tried to go make a play. We're either going to win on it or we're going to lose on it. And that's what makes the final game of the year fun. Yeah. Just trusting your instincts and going and just, it, it, it's an, it's a credit to the, the kids that, you know, watching film, understanding, seeing what's going to happen and them going out and making the play. And it goes yep. into their preparation where, you know, it's sim- that's a similar play to the Super Bowl 49 when Malcolm Butler, you know, they talk about how they should have ran the ball, which is a discussion for another day of uh, <laughs> if Marshawn should have run it. But, you know, it's they could argue it. But at the end of the day, Malcolm Butler made a hell of a play because he was so used yep. to seeing it. And then he it, it clicked back and he went and made it. And. Patriots got one another Super Bowl. It's yeah. one of those and, things, and, and I know, think those are the kids. NDSU, it's going to be something like that. I To win a game is seeing something on film and reacting and making the play, making that happen. That's a way to get one of those 
three turnovers that I said they'll need. Yeah, you know, I'd rather, you know, live or die by being on my toes and sitting back on my heels for an incoming death. You know, it's just, like you said, and Malcolm Butler, his his assignment was probably, would have been having him tackling the receiver three yards in the end zone. But he just trusted his gut, went and made a play, and that's kind of what just has been a narrative to most of NDSU's wins down in Frisco. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the JMU game back in 17 and where I I don't know if NDSU was the underdog or if they were the favorite, but it felt like NDSU was the underdog in their minds especially, which I think that is the most dangerous NDSU team is a team that is playing as the underdog with nothing to lose. You know, we're the nine-time national champions. How dare you guys think anything less of us? Yep. And I think they're embracing it. They've got revenge on the mind. And I think that 17 championship was one of their best wins. If NDSU comes away with a win with a win against South Dakota State Sunday, this will by far be their best national championship, bar considering all the injuries they've had, all the transfer portal, all the kind of adversity they have faced through this year against the team and against the very talented SDSU team. Yeah, I, just individually knowing those guys and what each of them has been through in their personal lives, um, you know, going to school, um, dealing with another year after having another year of COVID eligibility to come back, just what that kind of strain on your, your mind and your body had. Uh, the COVID year was a reason I quit, to be honest with you. Uh, I could have played another year. I was just ready to be done after all the hoopla and jumping, you know, it was just no fun. But um, it, it would have been – this will be really, really special uh, when the Bison pull it off just because I know what those guys have been through. Um, fighting like hell to get through, like you said, you know, some key contributors leaving, um, people getting hurt constantly throughout the year. Uh, everybody in the media, as they do, getting on and say, hey, the, the dynasty's over, the Bison are dead. And then until I see it, the Bison will never be dead, uh, especially during this run, man. And um, what a special game to, you know, cement your legacy as one of the most impressive team and coaching jobs um, that this program has ever seen. Yeah, and right now as we record this, and this is we're recording this Monday, the 2nd of January, but right now when I last I looked, they were five, NDSU's five-point underdog, by far the biggest underdog they've ever been. I believe in 19... James Madison was a point and a half favorite. Yep. And um, so five points. And who knows, that line might jump up even higher, uh, which, well, I don't I don't know if you're a gambler, Zach, but I am. I'm very tempted right now because I don't know if yeah. you've ever watched The Godfather, but and I didn't play for the team. But, you know, there's one rule is, is that you never go against the family. Absolutely. Um, I've. As long as this weight has been, and since the incarnate word win, I've just been like, how would I bet this game? I'm not a gambler. I, you know, my money's hard enough to come by, so I don't <laughs> like to spend it on that. But, uh, you know, Bison plus five, man, that feels like stealing house money, and which is even crazier to think about if it wasn't on a neutral site. If they were playing in Brookings this week, SDSU would be eight-point favorites. Yep. Uh, I know they usually factor in about a three-point swing uh, for the home team, home field advantage. But if I was a gambling man, don't listen to me for advice. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'd be taking Bison plus five. 
Yeah, for sure. And and you you've you've played in these NDSU SDSU games. What are those games like? What are they? You know, what's what's the week of practice? What's the week of practice like? What's the game like? You know, can you uh, walk you us know, through? Yeah. Um, obviously, I've never played them on a stage this big, but I played them a couple times in the regular season, obviously, and then a couple times in the playoffs. But um, it's it's almost like it's not like everybody's somber and quiet and so locked in and so focused. You can't play that way. Um, you'll you'll burn yourself out before you get get to the game. But it, it is there's it's just like this razor sharp for, focus where everything has um, to be as close as to perfect in the execution as possible, while keeping that same you know trusting your instincts, going out and making a play. Um, breaking on a ball that maybe you shouldn't be. Uh, but also, like I said, it's just finding that balance. You like to act like um, it's a nameless, faceless opponent every week, but it's not. You just no. you can say all that all you want, but when you're playing these guys in Frisco, I'd imagine the energy has been pretty ramped up the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And then what, what What are those games like? What are they, what are they like on the field? Is there, is, it, is there like a mutual respect between each other, or is there – is there a lot of chippiness? Is there a lot of John back and forth? Well, I mean, NDSU plays with respect, but, you know, SDSU doesn't. You look back and blowing Levon Perry's knee out with a, a high-low. Yep. You look at uh, the Christian Roseboom twist on uh, Bruce Anderson's ankle. Uh, and there's countless other examples. Uh, the Bison don't go out. We do our business between the whistle. We're not doing any of that stuff. But uh, you just – you can – it's – I don't know if you've ever been like on the sideline or anything close yeah, to an so, NFL game. Well, so I actually I worked when I was going to NDSU. I worked as an officials host, so I was sure. sitting on the sideline on SDSU sideline because the refs, uh, the officials' locker room, and then the visitors' locker room is just across the uh, hallway. So like I would always see them walk in, and um, when I was listening, when you guys had Ty Brooks on, yeah, and you talked and talked about how. John Stiegelmeyer, who is portrayed as, as this goody two shoes man of man of faith, just just an all around class act guy, and then Ty Brooks goes on. And he's talking about how he is the most notorious shit talker of any yeah. of the coaches. And like when I would see him, and obviously I'm not do have any impact. Like like because they played in 14, the both both games at the dome. The first one, you know, it was he walks in, he like shook my hand, he introduced himself to me and I introduced myself to him nice friendly guy and yeah. you know, when he came when they came back in 14 and they you know he greeted he knew my name and um he said, well, yeah. I said welcome back he's like well it's good to be back and that <laughs> game too and I'll talk about this game a little bit because uh that game that felt like there was and what so there was a different energy with South Dakota State that day where they were and they walk in. There were weren't wasn't a word said. Those guys were just completely locked in. And then the game started, and NDSU jumps out right away. And the funny story with the officials is, is I don't know if you remember that playoff game, but the officiating it was. I I think they came from the Patriot League. Okay. And there was they were calling. It was Pat. It, they weren't. They definitely weren't used to the physicalness of Valley football. Sure. And they were calling pass interferences left and right. I can remember on the jumbotron them having Kleiman, and that that was the first time I've ever seen Kleiman where he was just in a ref's face, just chewing their ass about it. 
And like yeah. they were getting booed and booed and booed and South Dakota state takes a late lead. And then Carson hits Erzendowski. And it is, it, if you go back and watch it, there's a kid in a green polo in khakis <laughs> jumping up and down going nuts. It happened. That Erzendowski touchdown happened right in front of me. Okay. And I was going crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's, and then, it's, oh, go ahead. And yeah. And then like the next week, uh, with Brian Gordon and the director of football ops. I don't know if you ever had him. I feel like um, he might've left right before you. Yeah. But, BG was gone the year before me. Okay. And he, he was saying, yeah, we watched that play, the Erzendowski touchdown and you jumping up and down like over and over again. I thought it was <laughs> hilarious. And I was like, yeah, all right, sweet. And it was, and that was, and that was one of SDSU's to that point. That was probably the best team they had. They had a, Senior quarterback Zenner, uh, they had yep. a uh, receive a six five receiver who was also a senior. That was kind of a one of the best uh, one of the best receivers to that point. Jake Winicky was a freshman. Dallas Goddard, nobody even heard of at that point. He and he yeah. still didn't have that much of an impact on that game or the first or any of the game until that sixteen season. But watching them and then it. It was just a watching all those guys like walk back, and it was just an incredible like just. And I had the jackrabbit. The jackrabbits crowd is right below me, and yeah. just. And then when Trey Dem- and then they take the lead, and then it was like fifty seconds left, and Trey Dempsey picks it off, and you could just yep. hear just a just nothing from that crowd. It was so <laughs> so awesome to see. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to see the surrender cobras and taste all the jackrabbit tears this Sunday. Um, It's just, one, John Stigelmeyer is, uh, I'll save my thoughts here, but uh, if you ever, anybody who's listening, or if you end up in Fargo, I'll share some stories over a beer. Can you share share at least like one, is there any that you can actually share? um, (laughs) I just, I'll just speak in general. He's not what he portrays himself to be. Uh, he might be as far as like his family life and, you know, I'm sure he's a man of faith and that means a lot to him. But uh, the way he's treated recruits that have committed to NDSU, the way he's treated players at NDSU, um, it's just, you know, it's all, all a front for um, what he really is. And I think there's a fine line between being competitive and having that alter ego and just kind of being a scumbag where I think he crosses that sometimes. Um, I just, the SCSU and NDSU games are so intense. One, because they're always close. Two, you're playing them because it means something. It's either the marker game or it's a playoff game. Um, so it's a winner win or die or win or keep the rock. Um, it's it, And like I said, you were that close to the sideline too. I imagine you heard it. It's like listening to an NFL game the way guys yeah. fly around and there's, there's a little bit of extra juice every time uh, we play the Jackrabbits. That's right. Cause you were, there is a picture circling the, the Twitter sphere that you, uh, of you in a SDSU Jersey oh, yeah. and a recruiting visit. So what was when you committed to NDSU, was there anything that he said to you specifically of choosing the Bison over the Jackrabbits? No, actually all my recruiting was handled by Jason Eck, another, uh, another famous person that the Bison fans love um, now the head coach at Idaho. But yep. uh, 
he was uh, he handled my recruiting, invited me down to Brookings, and then uh, offered me that he was it was actually my first offer. Um, but uh, Stig wasn't there. I didn't get to meet him, and then didn't actually hear from him at all through the recruiting process uh, until. Uh, I went to camp. I think I met him for five minutes, and it's just kind of weird. It's like you, you were my first offer. You sent, you gave me a scholarship offer, and I haven't met the head coach yet. Uh, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And then went up to UND, got an offer from them, and when they offered, um, there was some pressure. I think on the NDC coaching staff to take offering me a little bit more seriously, because. Um, I wasn't just going to walk on if I had offers from other schools. Um, got the NDSU offer and USD offered. Uh, and once NDSU offered, I knew where I was going, but I played out like I uh, was undecided. So, you know, had to keep everybody on their toes. But like you said, um, I didn't hear from Steg at all, as far as I can remember throughout the recruiting process. That's crazy. I wonder if that's – is that common? Because I feel like with, like, the NDSU coaches – and they're they're obviously going to have like are going to have specific areas, but I feel like at least if there's an offer made to you, I feel like the head coach would normally be reaching out. Or is that common that a head coach doesn't really reach out to a guy that's offered? Well, I think NDSU does a great job of like the regionalization of who gets what states, but every coach on the coaching staff makes a concerted effort to reach out, uh, which I think is really impressive. Like um, Atif Austin recruited like Southern States, Florida, um, some of those skill position States. And he sent me a text. He was a wide receivers coach. Like what the hell am I going to talk to Atif Austin for in the recruiting process? But they just want you to know that it's, it's a family from day one. Once you, once you step on campus Um, and even UND, I talk to Coach Schweigert all the time. He would invite me up to his office. We would talk all the time. He'd shoot me a text to just see how I was doing. Coach Kleiman reached out a bunch. Um, they're just so busy, and for them yeah. to take time, it does show uh, the effort and that they want you there um, if if it's if the header is sending you a text. Yeah, for sure. And I think that just that also just speaks to the success because it it does truly feel like a family of of bison and even like you know uh um from well a couple of years ago at state track i was watching my sister down there and uh one of the trinity or randy hedberg was recruiting um uh caden coons at the time and i was kind of just walking with my dad and he was randy was talking to caden's dad and we stopped and talked and we met and you know i told him i went to ndsu and he was asking me questions and I told him the story I told you about the, uh, the Erzendowski catch. And he talked about yep. that play. He was like, that was Car- I think Carson, when I look back at that, I think that was the best throw of his bison career. We talked about that. And then that's also, and then um, AJ Blazik, I went to a coaches, we went to a coaches clinic down in Kansas city and he sure. was there and head coach and I, we went up and we talked to him and talked about Jay. He took a picture with us and um, awesome. talked about that. So, which I guess that's a good, good way we can end it. Is how many of the uh, how many pride points um, do you have a do you still have a pride point necklace from when he yeah, was there? Yeah, I yeah I had uh, three bison teeth. That was whatever the um, 
uh, I can't remember what the threshold was to get pride points uh, for one tooth. But, I have uh, it written down in a notebook here because we actually instituted it this year at within the sure. Trinity program, and we saw great results with it too as well. Yeah, I, I think guys take that competitively. I know we did because we'd fight over who got a pancake, like if it was a double team and stuff like that. I think it was 15 pride points, if I'm correct, uh, to get one tooth. But uh, I have three of them. I have them in a jar that I emptied out. It was uh, like a bottle of Fishel Hill pills. <laughs> I dumped those out to put my uh, my pride point uh, teeth in. Um, I didn't play a lot. Obviously, people can go find that. But uh, when I did get in, I did pride myself on being physical when I was in. And that usually equated to um, a decent amount of pride points. I uh, hang my hat on. I outscored uh, Cordell Volson and Dylan Radens in the Butler game. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, was, I, I was at that game, actually. Uh, that game was a lot of fun, except for uh, trying to snap on a baseball diamond. You know, you have – when you're snapping, I played center, you have yep. the, like some downforce on the on the ball. And you did that, and it went right over the quarterback's head if you tried to do that on sand. Yeah. So that took some adjusting. I bet you the falling on the ground there, too, that probably didn't feel too good either. I probably had to be like a falling off your bike on a hot day. Yeah, I think uh, I was always a big kid, like not very fast playing baseball, so never really knew how to slide. It hurt <laughs> even when you were accustomed for that, and now you're in full pads rolling around on dirt, scraping up your elbows and your arms. It didn't feel awesome. Yeah, for sure. And uh, last question is, is, how insufferable will will you be when NDSU pulls off the upset on Sunday? Oh, I'm going to be belligerent, just so everybody's (laughs) on the same page. You can mute me accordingly, or you can – I'm sure I'll go live on some sort of social media. But, I mean, if you're an SCSU fan and you lose to this Bison team, how do you ever show your face in public or say anything to me again? I might stop watching Bison football after the Sunday when they win. It'll never get better than beating SDSU in Frisco. But uh, to answer your question, I have receipts – they're loaded up, we're ready to go, and they will be fired off when the Bison are victorious. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have I have a couple of things in the chamber. Got to win yep. first, but I they, I and I'll, I won't I'll be uh, on a golf course in Arizona like I was last year watching the game. So not a bad deal. No, it was it was great and hopefully the same results happen again. And yeah. Who knows, Zach? We might have to make this work. I don't. I know you. You're also a AWL for pardon my take. Absolutely. And you know the uh, after Coach K lost to uh, UNC, <laughs> that might yeah. be be an idea we might have to do is record one <laughs> yeah. af, after this uh, af, after the game, and that would uh, that that could that would be a lot of fun. But gotta gotta yeah. take care of business first. So yeah, absolutely. But I mean. I won't be able to walk on Monday. Uh, I already know that. I I have that prepared in my brain. Uh, I'm not going to be worth anything on Monday. Don't try to bother me, win or lose. My voice will be gone. My fingers will be numb from tweeting incoherent nonsense for 60 minutes. And I'm just, I'm so fired up, ready to go. I I am too. And just after recording this and we'll be recording our regular podcast here on Wednesday and discussing it as well but yeah I, but it, it's just it's going to be just a slow process i feel like until sunday but 
Thank you, Zach, for joining us. Thank you, guys, everybody, for listening. Check us out on all of our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and we'll be back recording uh, regardless of win or lose. And go Bison. Go Bison.